So I have a donut update. So this is the donut I got today. You ready? Oh my God. It is a, what they call a dosant because cronut is trademarked, but it's a cronut. Right. Uh, it's a dosant. It is stout Kit Kat. Well, like the beer? Like a stout? Yeah. Like a stout, stout beer flavored icing with a Kit Kat on top. I don't know how I feel about that. Uh, do you want me to eat it? Right now, while we're talking? Yeah, could you give us a review? Yeah, I'd love to. Actually, I'm not, because I haven't eaten dinner yet. I'm going to save it. I'm going to savor it. I'm going to savor every bite. bullshit. Also, I've had the Kit Kat ones, and they're really hard to eat with just your hand. It's really tough. What? 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 They're hard to eat. They fall apart. They they come apart. It's more of a... What do you need to use to eat it? (sighs) I may use a fork and a knife. Wow. This is more of a dessert. It, listen, this man is an artisan, okay? His work... Are you talking about yourself? Yes. And the way that I eat things with a fork and a knife. It's poetry in motion, <laughs> damn it. No, the the donuts that he makes, these, are not, these transcend breakfast, Andrew. These are not your fucking Dunkin' Donuts. This isn't your Circle K or your Krispy Kreme, okay? I don't think Circle K makes donuts, but you know what I'm saying. These are... Works of art, and you should respect them. I eat them for dessert, and sometimes dinner. Also lunch. And breakfast, of course. And sometimes I have snacks with them. Occasionally I use the crumbs to brush my teeth. One time I picked apart the dosant and used one of the layers as floss. I need to go to the dentist, is what I'm saying. (laughs) Chris... We saw a movie. Hold on, wait for it, wait, hold on, wait, wait for it, wait for it, wait for it, hold on a second. Ah, yeah, everybody! Welcome to the Media Lunch Break, bringing you all of your comic geek and movie news all in the time, all in the time. Nope, fuck it, I'm going to keep going with it. All the time it takes to eat a good sandwich and apparently have a mental breakdown. My name is Chris Treble. Alongside me, as always, is my co-host, Andrew Dunn. Say hello, Andrew. This is because we were talking about politics before recording the show, isn't it? Yep, and my brain melted. (laughs) I'm just going to say it because I like to say it that way. Oh, God. No, we do not endorse any specific candidate on this show. I endorse all of the candidates at once. Equally, in one unified voice. Even the Republican? So, Andrew, we saw a movie. (laughs) Not together. No, we were there with each other in spirit. Yes, we were. Uh, And that's the only way I choose to see things anymore, is in spirit. I got, okay, so we saw Joker. All right, so Joker's out. We got requested, somebody requested that we talk about this movie, right? That's correct. Is that what's going on? Is that why I'm forced to, to talk about this thing? Okay, let's let's do, I'm so, con- all right, let, uh, I want should you we, to go first. Should we dive into, you can't tell, you cannot tell if I like this movie or not, just by the way I've talked about it, can you? I mean, I think I've got an inkling. I'm actually curious, I wasn't, first of all, who requested that we talk about this? Oh, a friend of mine who listens to the show. Okay, great. All right. I was actually very curious on your thoughts on this movie as well. So let's, all right, how, let's start to get into this. First of all, I am very curious. Let's just get this out of the way. Did you enjoy this movie? Uh, yeah, I'd say I enjoyed it. Okay. How much did you enjoy this movie? I enjoyed it more the first time. Okay. And then the second time I saw it, uh, I found a lot more things that I, I was more critical of more things. So would you say it started to fall apart uh, during the second viewing? I wouldn't say it fell apart, but there were definitely things. I, I found myself asking a lot more questions. I This is one of those movies for me. Normally when I see a movie, I may like it okay. And then the more I think about the movie, the more I mull it over, the more I'm like, I actually really did enjoy that. And just the fact that I'm thinking about it, that it stuck with me, it means that I, I really enjoyed it. This movie, however, the more I thought about it, and granted... I, again, I am saying this, I saw this less than 24 hours ago. The more I've thought about this movie, the less I have enjoyed it. And it's actually diminished for me since coming out of the theater. Wow. Yeah. 
So tell me, I'm curious. Okay, so let's do this. Let's break it down a little bit. What was, what are some of the things you really, uh, like actually even through both viewings, enjoyed about this movie i i really loved joaquin phoenix okay i think he does a fantastic job also the cinematography i both times i thought was astonishing um the use of light and color is just brilliant i agree with you on both of those i think joaquin phoenix this is an outstanding performance i think it's really tremendous everyone keeps saying he's a shoo-in for at least a nomination possibly even a win i could absolutely see that i could 100 percent see that this is a really dedicated performance it's really a, a feat and i agree with you on the cinematography the cinematography the, the the production design into it is absolutely amazing they got that that like gritty new york that they were going for that i kind of forgot how lost of an era that is at this point. Which is really funny because it doesn't take place in New York and it wasn't filmed in New York. It was filmed in New York. Well, in parts, some of it. Uh, most of it is filmed in Jersey. Oh, is it really? Yeah. Okay. I was trying to place like where around, because you could kind of see the skyline in the back of, uh, of some of it. So I was trying to place just based on the angle of the buildings. Like yeah, where yeah. It was from. yeah, it is. I mean, they, they nailed that whole thing to a T they nailed the feel of it. It does feel like a movie that would have come out in the late seventies, early eighties about New York city. Yeah. And I know it's Gotham, but let's be honest, it's New York. Yeah. I mean, they nailed it. There's, I would a hundred percent believe that from there though, for me, it starts to all kind of go downhill from there. And I know we refrain from doing this most of the time, but this has been something that has been echoed on other podcasts that, that you and I listen to. But it's also, I've seen this in other articles and other, and other reviews and things like that. So I'm going to echo it because I really do actually agree with this. This is not really a movie about a comic book character. Like this is tangential. It's called Joker and it's about a character that becomes the Joker, but there is really almost next to no elements of the actual comic book character and the comic book world that it comes from other than the fact that the city is named gotham and we have the wayans and we have sorry i said that like it was like the wayan brothers and it's and we have like thomas and martha wayne's wayne and bruce wayne and things like that and that at the end the guy kind of looks like the villain the joker other than that this has really no relation to the comic book at all. And I understand that part of that is because we're dealing with a character that doesn't have an origin story and we're telling this origin story, but it really doesn't feed in, you know, there, there really is no, nothing to really link it to a comic book world other than these little tiny things. And I find that slightly frustrating Simply because if you were to sell me on a movie that is about a guy who's just ha- kind of going into madness, I would be down for that movie. Especially, you know, produced by Martin Scorsese. If you were to sell me about an origin story of the Joker, I would be down for that movie. This movie is not both of those things. It's just really more the one. It's more the, the guy going into madness. I will say that I partially agree with you. And the way that I partially agree with you is that I was telling someone before the movie, before I went to see it, that my biggest concern was that if this didn't have the implications that it's connected to the DC universe, I would not be seeing it. I was like, if it wasn't called Joker and we didn't see Bruce Wayne in the trailer, if it was just about a guy, I was like, I've seen it. I've seen Taxi Driver. You know, I, I know this story. So they didn't deliver a whole lot on that. But I also say that, like, there's only so much you can do when it's a story that takes place 20 years before the Gotham we know. So I can't remember what Melinda said, but Melinda, after the movie was over, said something along the lines of, like, you know, it was weird because he maybe it was like he wasn't wearing his costume or he didn't have the, the makeup we're used to or something like that. It was something like along those lines that she was expecting he would be the Joker that she knows or whatever. And I said... Oh, that's so weird, because to me, this isn't a story about the Joker. It's a story about a man who makes Gotham the way that we know it when we read or watch Batman. This isn't the Joker. 
This is Joker. In fact, if anything, I felt like this was a prequel to the 1989 Batman movie. And what we see when the Waynes are killed is the guy who eventually turns into Jack Napier, I think is his name, the Joker. Uh, And he goes on to be the persona of this other older guy. Yes, and I could could buy that. And that's a way kind of into getting into this world. And I understand, like th- like I said before, this is a character that doesn't have an origin story. It's never really been told. We've never definitively had the canon of what is the origin story of the Joker. But again, where it kind of falls apart, and this is kind of where I lost the show Gotham as well, which is supposed to be like the origin story of Batman and the origin story of a lot of things. If Arthur Fleck is the Joker, right? If that that's who this actually becomes, which is kind of how they're advertising it, right? Then by the time Bruce Wayne grows up, he's fighting a geriatric man. But the other thing is that by the end of this movie, I don't see, and I'm not looking for this character to be fully formed like he is in the comics, but I don't see how this character is the Joker. And you're right, maybe he is a Joker that inspires the Joker. Yeah, that's what I think, is he starts this movement. And I get that, but at the same time, I'm like, I I, I don't know if that's an interesting enough story for me to to hear kind of by itself if this was you know the uh, a movie it's almost like if they were deciding to tell that story within the greater context of the dc cinematic universe that they've already established i'd be more interested because it's like well now it's kind of a prequel and how did we get to this place because i know where it's going to end up this is a standalone unto itself it's a it's a world unto itself i don't need to see the origin of a of a world or a universe. I want to see the origin of a character. I was like, I'm not watching anything that definitively defines it as like the character that it's being advertised for. And because of that, I'm like, well, it's just basically the story of a guy going mad. And you're like, you said, I've seen taxi driver. I've seen the King of comedy. They're great movies. I would rather watch those. They're, they're better than this movie. Um, Also because for me, there was a lot, there were some plot, not plot holes, but there were some plot jumps that I really like. It felt like we're going to do this because we have to get over this. We have to get over this this canyon here. We have to get from this point to this point in order to make everything happen. Like what? What kind of plot jumps? The big one for me is one of the driving forces is that they show the tape of Arthur Fleck in the comedy club on Robert De Niro's show. Which, by the way, can I just go off on a tangent? That can we all agree that Robert De Niro is easily the worst late night talk show host in the history of television? It is, <laughs> he is so terrible in this, so awful. Yeah. I get that they wanted to put him in as a reference to The King of Comedy, which, by the way, have you ever seen that movie? I have not. It's great. It's really great. And it's kind of odd because actually in that movie, De Niro plays a, a, a comedian. Rupert Pupkin, who is trying to get on basically what is The Tonight Show. And in in this case, it's hosted by a guy who's played by Jerry Lewis. And Jerry Lewis in The King of Comedy is a great late night talk show host because Jerry Lewis is a comedian. He knows how to do that. But now you have Robert De Niro doing it, who is not that funny. He's funny in movies because you can give him a script and he can interpret it and you can have a director direct him. You oh. You know what my favorite part of your fire alarm is? What's that? That it tells you there's a fire in case you think there's a truck backing up in your apartment. Yeah. That's really that's really fun. Um, Can I add a point onto what you were just saying? What was I just saying? Well, I don't even remember. It was like eight hours ago or something. Yeah, I know. So you were talking about Robert De Niro and him being a talk show host and all that stuff. Oh, yeah. How he's the worst talk show host in the history of late night television. Yeah. So a friend of mine, before I went to see the movie, a friend of mine who loved the movie said that he thought the direction was great. And I asked him why he thought that. And he said, because, you know, the acting was so good in it. And I was like, Walking Phoenix was really good in it. Yes. And I was like, I think it might be a sign that he's not, that the direction wasn't great because name another standout performance. And there was a long pause and he was like, I mean, Robert De Niro was pretty good. (laughs) I was like, no, he "Eh." wasn't. No, that person is not your friend. 
that's not correct. What I wanted to say is, yeah, he was pretty good. You know, that's not a standout performance. He was probably pretty good because he's Robert De Niro. I don't even think he was pretty good. I don't even. I don't think he was good at all. I mean, even the even the the scene at the end where he's, you know, where where Fleck is on the television show and he's asking. By the way, if you haven't figured out that we do spoilers right away on this episode, I'm sorry. I just realized we probably have some new listeners. Yeah, we're gonna spoil the shit out of this <laughs> from the start, but. Even when he's on the television show, right? That question and answer part, he's not that... Like, I felt no tension from him whatsoever. Oh, sure. It just felt kind of confusion. He always had these weird phrases at the end and did these weird dance moves. And I'm, by the way, I'm talking about Robert De Niro. We'll get into the dancing of Joaquin Phoenix later. <laughs> but he had these weird slogans at the end, the that's life thing. And it just doesn't feel like it does not feel like that guy made that up organically. It feels like somebody told him to say that. I don't buy this guy being successful. Cause the other thing is we had spent time in a comedy club in this movie and the stand-up comedians that were in there are stand-up comedians. They're real comedians. Like, I recognize the one. And the jokes are pretty good. And the jokes are pretty good, and their delivery is good because they're actual comedians. Robert De Niro, who is not, who's supposed to be like the Johnny Carson of this world, is terrible compared to the guys who are slumming it in the comedy club in the movie. And he's just... He's really bad. I get you wanted to put him in as a reference to King of Comedy. I get that. So put him in somewhere else. Make him the boss at, at the clown f- factory where the fuck he worked. You know, that guy the, who fires Ar- Arthur Fleck. Make him that He could guy. have been Mark Maron's character. He could have been Mark Maron's character. He could have been the clown that gives him the gun. Even if you, uh, honest to God, even if you put him as Rupert Pupkin, his character from King of Comedy, that would have been at least some sort of a cooler reference. And I would have bought it because Rupert Pumpkin is supposed to be kind of a weird loser, you know, from the other movie. Like, do something with that. But this guy, he's just terrible. He's awful. Anyway, the, the point I was making is that where the plot makes a weird leap to me is like, we have to establish that he wants to get onto the show and he's been betrayed by Robert De Niro's character, Morty, whatever the... Rupert Pupkin. I don't care what his character's name is. It's unimportant. And so what happens is De Niro puts a clip from the comedy club that Arthur Arthur Flex uh, performs in and then makes fun of him for it. It, like, puts it on national television and then makes fun of him. And I'm like, when is this ever... That No one does that. No one's ever done that. That's not a running gag on a bit. You know what I mean? Like, even if they said, like, uh, we do this all the time. There's a bit we've done before. We're going to do it again. Show this. uh, And show then show the clip. I would have bought that if you establish it that, like, the show does this. If they had shown in uh when they were watching with his mother that they did this to another comedian or something there's no precedence that they would show a terrible comedian on television and then make fun of him also that just makes him like mean which i know is kind of the point of a lot of the characters in this movie but when you're a talk show host generally you want to seem like a nice person and fake it but that just seems like a dick move like i don't really understand the motivation for doing it you couldn't find any other bit you couldn't play stump the band you couldn't like viewer mail any other bit that every light night talk show is you have to do this thing i actually have that written down i I wrote down some notes and one of the things i have just says everyone is really mean to this guy for no reason that part was so contrived of like we have to get him onto the show and we have to get him to a place that when he gets on the show he wants to kill robert de niro's character so we'll do this thing that's never been done before and we don't have to explain it for some reason. And then, of course, they call the booker calls and says, everybody loved you, uh, your little clip. And I'm like, what? No, no one loved that. It wasn't, no one, it wasn't even that, it didn't even sound like that big of a hit when he showed the clip on the show. Not only that, I have written here, how was he a huge hit on the show? How did they even gauge that? This is before the internet. It's not like it went viral. Right. Were people calling up and like, oh, I gotta see that comedian. Like, well, and that's the other thing too, right? We saw the bit and, uh, you know, 
It was fine. It wasn't even like one of those like, oh, it's so bad, it's good type of things. Like he wasn't showing the clips and then having these punchlines that were just absolutely killing the audience. They were just mild laughter. And then he's like, all right. And then coming up, we've got. It was filler. Yeah. It was just some weird filler. To It's just so. And that's what I mean. It was just both of those sections were like, we have to get to this point. So let's just make this little leap here and we'll just keep going. Even the, the, um, the girlfriend, Sophie, Sophie, that whole storyline, it was kind of interesting. It was kind of going along. And then you find out the twist is that the whole thing was in his head, that he was kind of fight clubbing it almost at the time. When I saw that, I was like, wow, that's a really, wow. That's a, that's a great twist. I did not see that coming. And then when I thought about it, I went, Right, but if that's true, then what's the whole point of even having her in the... Like, what does it get... What does that change about our character from doing that? It gave him some confidence to have that made-up person, but it didn't break him then when he came to the realization that that relationship wasn't real. We don't even know for sure that he does know that it wasn't real or or wasn't aware that it was fake the whole time. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know where he stands on that. And so I don't know how it, having that even in there moved this whole thing forward or developed his character in some sort of way, made him closer to what he ended up becoming. That's so weird, too, because I totally basically from the first scene that was not real, I was like, this isn't real. Yeah. And then every single scene after that, I was like, oh, yeah, this is definitely a delusion. Right. A dude pretends to blow his brains out in front of you and your daughter and then follows you to your place of employment and then you knock on his door and here's the other thing she knew his name in the first scene and i was like did he introduce himself so that was the first thing that cued me out and also the fact that he already envisioned himself he already had a delusion where he was on the maury show right uh and then it wasn't real and i was like oh this is probably fake as well and then he's like at the comedy club just like bombing and she loves it and i'm like yeah it's probably fake and then she's talking about how she thinks this guy who killed three wall street dudes is a hero and i'm like yeah this is definitely not real right you know so you saw that like from moment one yeah yeah and she's not at the hospital and then she is and then she's not like it's see i didn't i'll be and i wasn't really looking for it so i didn't i didn't catch it right away at the same time and part of me i think thought Okay, so I know he has to, he's kind of this weak guy who needs to have a turning point where he's getting, he becomes more confident to become the person that obviously the title of the movie tells us he's going to become. So maybe this is that, you know, this is that one person that kind of pulls him out in order to do that. And then something's going to happen. I really did not want it to be like he falls in love and then she gets hit by a truck or something. I was actually glad that it wasn't something like that. But I think that's why I was going along with it. And it was kind of believing that she would be this person that is like, yeah, he, I think he's a hero and blah, blah, blah. That being said, once that storyline finished up, I was like, I don't understand what the point of it is. I don't understand how this... Because then he kind of resets and goes right back to what he was... He was still on the same trajectory whether he's with her or not. So I don't understand what her character is even doing in there. I don't see why that gets what that gets us right from having him imagine that relationship and then he goes in and he kills her i know what people don't know i'm pretty sure he kills her he kills her and he kills the kid i'm saying that why do you think that i just i have that i, I have that feeling that he kills her and the kid because well i partial part of it was because he walks out of the apartment and there's nothing after that about like she doesn't come out of the apartment and was like hey what the fuck were you just doing in there and i'm calling the cops and the cops didn't come knock on the door i was like hey were you just in her apartment what's going on you know the, the cops already came after him about questioning um about the guys on the subway train which <laughs> it's a weird sequence anyway. but then no one ever follows up about him going into her apartment like she didn't call the cops immediately and was like, "You have to get this guy who just left my apartment. He was he broke in here." So I must. Well, it's possible she did, but the cops are like, "Look, lady, is anybody hurt? Like we got stuff to do. This is Gotham." Yeah, but he's someone who the cops are already looking at. So I feel like that would catch a flag somewhere that those detectives would come up and be like, "Well, now you've also broken into someone's apartment, so you're acting kind of strange. Maybe you need to talk to us." I just didn't buy that, like, it would just kind of fall by the wayside unless he did something. 
Uh, anyway, it doesn't matter because to me that, that whole storyline is kind of pointless. If you're listening to this and you can explain how this actually serves and moves his character forward, please feel free to write to Andrew and tell him <laughs> so that he can tell me. I don't... I, 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 you're probably not going to convince me, but... Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know. What uh, is there any other? Are there any other like big things that really stood out to you as far as this movie's concerned? Like either good or bad? Yeah, I've got a bunch of stuff we could talk about. I will say some things to add on to you. I have written here Chekhov's super rats. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is. Yeah, they they sort of pop up at the beginning. They're you. We see them at one point. They're mentioned like two or three times, and then there's just nothing that happens with them. Yeah. That is a, yeah, yeah, I agree with you there. I thought something was gonna, the way that, the fact that you set it up with this, like, really purposeful joke, and we have to watch the whole joke for, in the monologue, I'm like, oh, the rats must mean something. No, it's just a bad joke about rats, and a dumb cat punchline. So fucking dumb. I have here, Alfred looks a little dumpy. (laughs) It did not click for me that that was Alfred until... Right at the end. Me neither. Melinda said something when she was reading the credits, and I was like, oh, Alfred was in this movie? And then it clicks for you like, oh, right, the butler. I thought it was just a random... I also have... This is super important to me, and I didn't realize this until the second time through. How does a man so skinny have the ability to hold Alfred against the gate? And then later wrestling the folder out of the clerk's hands how is this skinny dude so strong he's got the strength of a of an insane person and so you know they have the strength of 10 men don't you know that lunatics have the strength of 10 men Uh, yeah i don't know about that that's a scientific fact no that's in the new england journal of medicine you can look that up there's absolutely no way circa 1954 that he was able to pull that folder out of that giant i mean he's not giant but certainly a much larger man's hands the clerk oh that was another thing okay so speaking of the folder all right so here let me okay here's the other thing so there's the whole thing with his mother supposedly having an affair with thomas wayne and then that thomas wayne is arthur's father right and then it turns out that his mother is psychotic and delusional yeah and that thomas wayne is not his father in fact Arthur Fleck is adopted, but they they give you this feeling that Arthur Fleck is also psychotic and delusional because his mother is psychotic and delusional. But if he's adopted, he doesn't have her genetics. So why in the hell? Do you know what I mean? I do. See, I would argue that that's a good thing. Right. But that's what I'm saying is that, and I get people are going to go, well, there's the whole thing about being tied up to the radiator the the other guy beating him and tying him up and that's what makes him the way that he is and i will go with you on that that i believe is what makes him that's not what i was gonna say okay what i was gonna say is if thomas wayne is as rich as we know him to be right there's a good chance that that folder is fraudulent oh totally possible i didn't even think of that because what i was gonna what i was gonna finish with is that if the whole story about him being beaten by whoever the guy was, a boyfriend of his mother or whatever, and that's what gives him that neurological disorder of the laughing and creates all of this psychosis and things like that, that holds up. Why do you then need a plot point of him also being adopted? Because that doesn't serve any... It, it is ex, um, extemporaneous. You don't need that. Because again, you're you're creating this idea that, oh, the mother's insane. That's why the son is insane. Not if he's adopted, because then he doesn't have her genetics. But again, if you're right, like Thomas Wayne is rich enough, he could make a false record about that. Maybe he is really. But then why, again, that doesn't lead to any plot line anywhere. Why keep that in? That is just, that's the other thing is that it felt like there was a lot of filler in this movie of all these weird things. The di- there's like well, I think for for me honestly, the biggest problem is that the movie asks more questions than it answers by a lot. Um, so like for me, the evidence is there that possibly Thomas Wayne did forge these documents, but it doesn't say that. And the evidence is there that he's just that uh, Arthur is just messed up because he was abused as a child, but it doesn't really say that. Uh, it doesn't say that this is or isn't the Joker as we know him as the Batman's main villain. It doesn't say that 
you know, the, the guy who shot Bruce's parents turns into a, another Joker or like, we still don't know his origin. Right. And I think maybe that's kind of my whole problem with it is that in a movie like this, when the title is the guy that the character is going to become, you do need to say that. I know that in some movies you don't. You can leave that kind of open-ended and you want to leave it for audience interpretation. The movie is called Joker. I need to know at the end of this that he becomes the Joker. You can't be like, well, maybe he becomes the Joker or maybe he becomes a guy who inspires the Joker. No, the title of the movie is Joker. How do we get there? You're giving me the end in the title, so you have to then lead me to the end. I actually disagree with that. I think there's a balance. I think you can end it open-endedly with certain things, but we really didn't get anything. We didn't get any closure of any that, kind. And that's what I mean. You can't, Yes, I agree with you. There are certain things you can leave open-ended. Um, I'm not saying you need to tie it off on a neat little bow, but you can't have things like... Like I said, like if he's going to become Joker, I need to know he actually becomes Joker. Uh, you can't go, well, maybe he's not the Joker. No, you called the thing Joker. He's got, he, that's joke. Then why call it that? Then why make it the Joker? Don't do that. Make it a different movie. Just make it something else. And I'll go along with you. If, it, if the movie was just called Fleck and it was just about this guy descending into madness and he creates this movement and that's how he finds his... You could do this without... You know what's really funny? Yeah. If they had done a 10 Cloverfield Lane with this, I think it would have worked better. Where, like, it's just a movie about a guy and then at the very end he does the, the blood smile that he does at the very end. I think this would have worked better. Right. And you don't realize you're watching a Joker movie until you, until it is? I, yeah, that I would totally go along with that because at least then you have something, you have kind of a, a twist where you go, oh my gosh, I did not see that coming. And you, all the open-ended questions would be fine because you didn't sell me on the idea that uh, what I'm going to see is something kind of definitive. You can't title your movie something definitive and then not make it definitive. You know what I mean? That's kind of false advertising. Yeah, if it was called like the the slums of Gotham or something like that. Yes. And then I would go along with what you were saying earlier of like, maybe this is just the story of the city itself and how it got to be that way. Yeah. Then I'll go with it. But you're you're narrowing it down to one character. You have to tell me his story in a somewhat definitive way. I don't need you to answer every question. But the main question, how does he become Joker, really should be answered. And it didn't feel like it was. The fact that he's delusional also sets it up so that there's a number of things that could be different than the way that we saw them. Right. For example, he says to his therapist, he said, I told you last week that I want to pursue stand-up comedy. And she says, I don't think you did. And he says, I'm pretty sure I did. And I think we're meant to think, oh yeah, he he must have. He seems pretty sure. Well, if he's delusional, there's a good chance he didn't fucking say that to her. They say that the Randall called him out to the boss because he says Arthur tried to buy a gun off him. Maybe he did. Instead of that guy just tossing him the bag. Right. Because we don't know. Maybe he fucking stole it. Maybe he tried to buy it off him. Randall said no, and he stole it. So opening this, uh, the, the, when you make a character like this delusional or schizophrenic, it opens an entirely new can of worms that you have to deal with as a director. Yeah. And again, like you said, you don't have to answer every question, but then you can't also sell me on a story that is going to at least answer one question and don't. I think if they didn't go the route of him being delusional, I think I would have been a lot more in favor of it because there's too many questions and any plot holes you have can be written out as like, oh, it was a delusion. Right. I think the other thing for me was like, I don't buy that this guy then becomes the Joker. The Joker that we know. And I mean that in a, like, I'm not looking for a specific interpretation of the Joker from the comics or a certain interpretation of the Joker from a different movie or something like that. Just the broad things that we know about the Joker. Yeah, he's delusional and he's psychotic and he's a killer, but he is also cunning, intelligent. See, all right. I'm glad you're getting into this because this is actually a perfect segue for us to start talking about the things that I did actually really enjoy about this movie. Okay. Because this is why I really think that this is not the Joker and that I think they were intentional in naming it Joker and not the Joker because this is a different person. And I think the key to this is dissecting the difference between what we see in Arthur when he's just by himself. Right. And what the world sees when he's on camera. 
Because the point of this movie is that killers are losers. They look like idols from afar, but close up, they're nobodies. And this is a guy who's just a nobody. He's such a throwaway right. person. You, you, you wouldn't want to know him. Not in like a, hey, wow, this guy's evil or threatening. He's just, you know, he's annoying. He's frustrating. He's awkward. He's not very smart. He doesn't have a lot of ambition. He doesn't have a lot of uh, intelligence. He's not the kind of guy you'd want to get a, get to know. But when he's on the camera, he says a lot of things that are striking and interesting, and they sound kind of smart. In fact, I, I also have written here the sentence, quote, I don't believe in anything, quote, is when the transformation is complete. Mark Maron's character, Gene, can spread the word in interviews, resulting in a new Joker with the same mission. So, like, it's that his message is being misconstrued. He says, I don't believe in politics. I don't believe in anything. That's the Joker's, like, alma mater, is he doesn't believe in anything. But when Fleck says it, he's not saying it in some sort of, like, anarchistic way or, you know, a way to strike chaos in the heart of Gotham. He's just saying he doesn't believe in anything. He doesn't have any motivation, any ambition. But if someone else hears that message, which he does say on the camera, then that can strike a movement among many people and lead to a copycat killer of the same style. Fine. But he also says, like, I don't believe in anything. And da -da -da. But then by the end of that speech, he gets extremely emotional and extremely upset. I'm glad you're bringing up that scene in particular when he's on the talk show. Because I started to buy it that he was becoming this character and he had this big character change. And then he kind of just becomes Arthur Fleck again. He He's a louder Arthur Fleck and he's slightly more confident and then he's actually voicing how upset he is. But the fact that he gets upset and gets emotional about something says he does believe in something. Because if he didn't believe in anything, he would not care. Do you know what I mean? That He would be kind of so nonchalant about everything. Sort of, but I think what he cares about, what he believes in, is just not getting stepped on by a bunch of people. I don't... Right, but that's believing in something. Sort of. He just said, I don't believe in anything. That's believing in something. I think you're taking it too literally. I mean, if you were to say, like, when someone says, what are you doing, and you say nothing... You could be watching TV or reading a book. You don't literally mean you're sitting down staring at... Because even if you're sitting down staring, you're sitting down and staring. When he says he doesn't believe in anything, he means he doesn't have like a moral compass that... A larger agenda. Yeah, that makes his decisions for him. Sure. But I think for me, where, where that part fell apart was also the idea of like, we're watching this character go through this transformation... And when we get there, it started to look like it was going to be this dynamic transformation where he takes everything in. This the, For the whole movie, it's him being a nothing person and being stepped on. But he's also, when that happens, he's taking all of that in. He's ingesting all that and kind of like holding it in. And it felt like the trajectory they were trying to give him is that what, it, what finally happens is that he realizes that if he just doesn't let that in, if he just doesn't care about anything that that's the freer way to live and that's going to and that kind of lets him be his ultimate self. However, when he gets to the part where he's talking about how Murray's not a very nice man and everybody steps on him and da 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 and he's getting so upset, I'm like, "Oh, you're still taking everything in." That's a sign that you still are holding this stuff in. You're not giving that character that full transformation anymore. And you're at the climax of your movie and you're not giving, you, you know, you're not hitting that, that point. What I was really waiting for was like, he's going to go on as the Joker and he shoots Murray and he just doesn't care. Like even before when they're talking about the question, he's just does not care about any of this. He's kind of in his own kind of plane of reality almost that he can just freely kill and not care. And that's it. Because that's, again, that's kind of the, the Joker that they seem like they were building towards. If you say that you're building towards the Joker, that's what the Joker does. But this guy doesn't. He does still care about it. He does also say, to, to further your point, he does also tell the clerk uh, he did something that he thought he was going to feel bad about, but then he ended up not feeling bad at but all. But he ends up not feeling bad about it. And that I'm like, every time he would do that, I'm like, that's what I'm talking about. That's getting closer to what to the per to the person that he's trying to bring out but then you get to this other part and now he is caring about this stuff and he's getting emotional and he's crying and he's yelling and it's just kind of sounds a little whiny to me it sounds like the arthur fleck at the beginning of the movie just actually expressing himself it doesn't sound like this big transformation to me and that 
that's where it kind of fell apart. All right. I want to bring up one other thing that I liked. So I mentioned Chekhov Super Rats, which I thought was a bad thing. But right after that, I have written Super Cats foreshadowing for Batman. So this is interesting. I actually listened to a review that came out today with a YouTuber I really like. And she actually really didn't like the movie either. But she mentioned one thing that I thought was really interesting, and she said it as like, a, of course, this is like hammered in too hard and, you know, we all get it. And she even said she felt like every viewing of this movie should have come with Todd Phillips sitting next to you going, do you see? Do you see what I did? See it? But I didn't pick up on this. So the Super Rats, Robert De Niro's character, Maury, has a joke about how the police have a way that they're going to take care of these super rats. They're going to get super cats. And it's a big joke and everyone laughs. It's not a big joke, but whatever. All right, <laughs> it might have been in the 80s. Fucking stupid joke. The reason that's a joke is because, well, super cats would just be a band-aid, right? It's because they turned on the applause sign. That's the reason it's a joke. It's because Robert De Niro had a gun to all the audience's heads. Oh, man. I think at the end of the movie that Joaquin Phoenix character should have shot Murray and then everyone stood up and applauded and was like, yay, finally the unfunny man isn't on TV anymore. Yay. Finally we can leave because I think it's the same studio audience that's been there for every show and he locks the door and keeps them in there and barely feeds them. And they're like, finally, we're free. We're free. And then the Joker becomes a hero. Finally. Yes, that would have been... Yeah, that's when he was the most heroic to me. Is when he... Anyway, go on. What were you saying? The Super Cats joke. The reason it's a joke is because... It's only a joke if you recognize that Super Cats would only exacerbate the problem in a different way, right? It would take care of the rats, but then we'd have all these giant cats around that we'd have to deal with. In the same way, Batman is a super cat for Gotham super rats. The police are regular cats... And instead, we have to send this super cat that is a band-aid on the problem. The whole thing starts with a garbage strike. Presumably, they don't actually spell this out, but presumably that's why these rats are becoming a problem, is because the garbage men are all on strike. If the city of Gotham takes what it needs from its extremely wealthy, like the Waynes, and gives it to the people who need it, then the garbage can be picked up, the rats will go away... And literally as well, if that happens, the garbage men have jobs they like, people around Gotham have jobs they like, people get a little less anxious, a little less on edge, and they're generally much better people. They don't need to steal, they don't need to murder, they don't need to rob. Batman is the super cat that the police send in, because he's the band-aid. Instead of fixing the problems, Batman is going to be the band-aid on Gotham. I... I mean, that's that's a brilliant theory that you said you got that from somewhere else or you just made that up now? No, I got that from somewhere else. Okay, cool. You know where you didn't get that from? The movie? The fucking movie. Yeah. Okay? And it didn't come from Todd Phillips, and that's for damn sure. Because there's no way he put all of that in there. Because if he did, then you know what it would be? It would be a fucking comic book movie. Which it's not. I it, This movie gets more frustrating the more I think about it. This is what I'm saying. At this point, let's see. At this point in the evening, uh, 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 I think the movie was just about wrapping up. And so now I've seen this movie for almost a full 24 hours. And uh, it just gets more frustrating the more I think about it because of all of these, like... whoever said it is right it is like Todd Phillips was just sitting there like poking you in the side like huh aren't I brilliant aren't I brilliant I've really moved on from the hangover haven't I huh what do you think oh you don't believe me let's add one more dance scene what do you think of that what do you think of that let's add him crawling into a refrigerator which served zero purpose I don't even know what that was trying to show for the character he clawed into a fridge also how did he get out who cares Maybe he didn't. Maybe he's delusional and he's dead in a fridge somewhere. And I hope he is because we never have to deal with this fucking movie ever again. I hope this movie dies in a fridge. But that's what I mean. You did the one dance scene and it's like him having a mental breakdown. And then he did another dance scene. And I was like, I don't understand what this is trying to do. Is this trying to show? Because it's not like him perfecting a dance move that's going to be some sort of a signature or anything. It's not, he doesn't do the same thing over and over again. He's not repeating the same motions, but getting better at it to show like, this is the inner Joker coming out. And this, when I 
hit perfect this move this is like my truest sense or something like that that i would have understood it's just a lot of weird dance scenes you know todd phillips on this tour like when he's been promoting this movie he constantly has been talking about how the reason he's switching from comedies to movies like this is because he feels like we've become too PC as a culture that he can't make the jokes he wants to make anymore. No, you can't make the jokes you want to make because the jokes weren't that funny. Yeah, that's how I felt too. They weren't that funny. The Hangover was pretty good because it was a novel concept. Um, The jokes were fine. They were pretty good, but they weren't fantastic. You just had a really novel concept. Hang on though, with that movie, like, there's no way Todd Phillips could convince me that that whole movie was scripted. No, no. It wasn't scripted. What do you know? You know what I mean? And if it was, then why would you get someone like Ed Helms and Zach Galifianakis? Like, no, that's ridiculous. You can't tell the jokes you want to tell because no one laughed at due date. What do you want from us? All right. I've got a few more points I want to get through before we finish. Okay. Another thing I thought was good was um, by the end, the laughter ceases to be a disorder. It becomes part of him. In my opinion, it was never random or out of place. It was just that he didn't understand why he was laughing. Yeah, that was great. That I do get. And that that was really, I thought that was at least a really nice touch on this guy has this crazy laugh. And why as that whole disorder thing, I was like, I kind of like this. I do buy this. And it was a, a novel uh, approach to that aspect of a character that we know really well on how to include it in. Another thing that uh, I think you'll agree on, actually, because this is part of the cinematography, as Arthur becomes happier, the color scheme gets brighter until the white room and the window in the hallway finishes the movie. I didn't pick up on it as much as you did, but now that you say it, I can think back on the movie and, and acknowledge it. Think about the scenes where he's in the makeup and the costume. Uh, he's either in the show with bright lights on him and the colors are popping. He's outside on the steps with the, the, you know, the sun is out, the colors are popping constantly. If he is doing the thing he enjoys, which is being a psychotic murderer, then the sun is up. The more he dives into the insanity, the brighter it becomes and the more colorful the world becomes. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that's a subtle and, and really brilliant choice. Yeah, a lot of the filmmaking aspects of this are really, really good. This is a well-made film in some regards. All right. There's one last thing I want to run by you. When he starts laughing at the end of the movie, when he's in a straitjacket. Actually, I don't think he's in a straitjacket. In fact, he's smoking. Who gave that man a light? It's the 80s. Everybody got a light. <laughs> so he's in this uh, this padded cell. He's being interviewed by presumably a caseworker. Right. He's laughing. She says, what are you laughing at? No is ADR. Really? And for anyone who doesn't know what that means, it's like post-production voiceover. You wouldn't get it is him saying it. Really? I did not catch that. Yeah. Isn't that strange? I didn't the first time either. I did not catch that. So here's what I, this is a two-part question. Okay. I can't figure this first one out. I have an idea about the second one. Okay. Why did they choose to do it this way, where no is ADR, and you wouldn't get it isn't? And secondly, what's the joke? I think maybe the no being ADR is he actually said it on the day, but he... Because if you remember, that's a really quiet... He's talking very, almost introspectively. He's very quiet at the end. And I think he just delivered that line. So you so, think it was strictly technical? I think it was probably strictly technical. I think he delivered it so quietly that they were like, you, we need you to uh, bring it out more. Because his mouth doesn't move. His mouth is closed. Really? Yeah. Okay. I didn't even, I didn't actually catch it. So um, I'm not, sh- I- I'm not sure. That's the only way I could think of it or they wanted to just be like hey add a no here i don't think there was anything poetic in it you think like there was just a long pause and todd phillips was like we need to fill something yeah and the joke what's the joke yeah what's he laughing at (sighs) with this fucking movie i bet you i'm sure somebody's gonna say the joke is he's thinking back and the entire movie is in his head (laughs) is that what you think that's the only thing i could possibly think of because when they flash to that I, I saw him and I was like, okay, he's now no longer in the makeup. He's in this white padded place. It's a brand new woman who, by the way, is slightly close to the woman that he, that was his social worker before, but not the same actor. Racist. But it is. It's, it's an older black lady. That's, that both of them are, are older black ladies. And I was like, that's an odd. I actually found that kind of odd. I was like, huh. 
that's interesting that they would purposely cast two different people. Because for a second I was like, is that the same person? And they gave her some gray in the hair or just changed her slightly. So uh, I had to really look, but they're not. Can I remind you of something and also offer up an explanation possibly for that? Go for it. The explanation, I think that, if anything, is just to make a point about the industry of mental illness and counselors and how at least to Arthur, they all kind of run together. They're all asking the same questions. They're all not listening. They're all basically the same person. If that was thought about at all, which God knows it might not have been. The one thing I want to remind you of is that when she asks him if she can ask what's so funny, he says no. And then it shows Martha and Thomas Wayne lying dead in an alley. And then he says, you wouldn't get it. Mm. I did not remember that part. I mean, I remember it now. I'm just saying it didn't... Yeah, I didn't the first time either. So then what do you think is the joke? So I think the joke is going back to... The more that I think about it, the more that I think like the the real plot of this movie is about the lead up to Batman. And I don't think that he is is laughing about that. But I think what he is laughing about is when you put Band-Aids on the system, when you get super cats to eat the super rats, this is what happens. Right. Okay. Hmm. But see, the thing is, I don't... For the whole movie, that this character does not seem like he thinks in the big pictures like that. And that's what I mean. That's where I'm going. I did not see him develop... If you call the movie Joker and it's supposed to be... Yeah, that's a good point. The last five minutes of this movie is about the Joker. (laughs) Right. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't seem like he... Even though people are now like noticing him, that's what for him the movie's whole the whole story is about is people finally noticing him. He does not to me turn into the guy that is going to become this super criminal that can, you know, think in these broader ideas. Even when he's on the talk show and he's talking about these broader ideas, he still is basing it based on his own little personal experiences of people pushing him around and blah blah blah. Yeah. I don't think he thinks in that in that big of terms. And again, that's one of the ways it fell apart for me because I'm like, I don't believe that this guy is Joker. This is just a story about a guy. And so I think the joke is, if anything, that they're trying to give an open-ended feeling of like, maybe the whole story happened in his head. And what you see at the end of the movie is really the beginning of the movie. And if it is, then fuck you, Todd Phillips. Fuck you all over again. <laughs> Fuck you harder than when fuck you for due date and for a hangover. Not three. at the table, Carlos. If that's a due date reference, then fuck you too, Andrew. No, that's a hangover reference. Is it? I've seen the hangover once. You know why? Because once you see it and you know what the end is, you don't need to ever see it again. Or you don't even need to make the other two sequels about it because I saw the first one. He's on the roof. I'm so amazed. I thought for sure you were going to come into this episode talking about how much you love this movie. I thought I was too. I really did. I thought I was going to love this movie. Maybe that was the problem. Maybe. Maybe. Or maybe that Todd Phillips has an ego the size of fucking Montana and the talent the size of a lesser thing. My dick. So rank this movie with the other DC movies. (sighs) Okay. All of them? Well, just like, where does it fit? Like, it's better than and it's worse than. Okay. It's better than Suicide Squad. Okay. I, I also feel like the arguments you have for this... Definitely don't make it a mediocre movie, which, like, in a way makes it better, right? No, it doesn't. No. And actually, even when I was not enjoying it, I remember thinking in the movie, this is the way that DC should go. And I know I've made this point before, but stop trying to do what Marvel is doing. Do this. Take these big swings, because even when they don't work... They are still really good. Like, this is a quality film. They, they did a really good job on this. Even though I don't actually like it, I appreciate the the giant try that they took You on like this. it as a movie for a different character. For a different character and for a different reason. It is a good movie. It's just because it's they're trying to ham-fist it into, the, into a comic book movie. Right. But that being said, this is what DC should be doing. This is actually more in their wheelhouse than they realize it. I just read a book called Slugfest. I told you about this book. Yeah. And it is a book about the history of the rivalry between Marvel and DC. And one of the major themes that they constantly talk about is how DC constantly considers itself kind of the more mature intellectual adult publishing company to Marvel's more youthful erratic and rebellious publishing company. And if that's true, stay true to your roots. 
And by that, I mean, you want to uh, just keep making these more mature movies that are for a little more intellectual. Stop trying to appeal to a bigger popcorn mass. So what is the movie that is a step? What is the DC movie that is a step better than this? Uh, the Nolan movies are a step better than that. Are you talking about as far as the DCEU? Yeah, well, yeah, what's the, I mean, the Nolan movies are much better than this. I said the rank, you know, you only gave me it's better than Suicide Squad. Right. Which one is it slightly worse than? Which one is it slightly worse than? Yeah, what's the, like, I told you to rank them. So, like, what's, what's the next one? Yeah, I know, I'm trying to think. I'm, I'm also trying to think. No, no thinking. There's no thinking in this. Yeah, that's fair. This one is slightly worse than Aquaman. Okay, yeah, that's the one I was thinking. Yeah, it's slightly worse than Aquaman. It's slightly better than Justice League. I would say this is actually on par with, like, a Wonder Woman. Okay. Or even a Sh- No, Shazam, I think, is better than this movie. I haven't seen Shazam yet. But you also didn't hate Wonder Woman, right? I didn't hate Wonder Woman. I just thought it was kind of like... Same old, same old. Slightly paint by numbers. I wasn't as blown away by it as, as other people were, but I didn't hate it. Yeah, I was the same way. I felt like I felt like for a DC movie, it deserved a standing ovation. And for a regular movie, it was acceptable. It deserved a golf clap. Yeah, yep. Yeah. All right, all right. So let's solidify this right here. Zero to ten. What was Joker? I'd give it a solid six. Okay. I think the big swings it takes, even when it misses, it gets it at least above halfway. But again, those big kind of plot leaps that they have to make just to make the whole thing work really loses it for me. What about you? I was telling my friend who uh, who said he loved it, who actually convinced me to go see it earlier than I was planning to. Um, and I was like, you know what? It was it was a good movie. It was it was a pretty good movie. I liked it. And he was like, come on. He fucking loved it. He thought it was great. And I was like, no, I mean, it's like eight out of ten. And he was like, oh. Well, that's really good. And I was like, I mean, I guess it's 80%. Like, what is that? A C plus, <laughs> you know? It's a, like a B minus. Right. Yeah. So I think I give more weight to Joaquin Phoenix and the cinematography. For me, that's like more than half the movie. Right. You know, he's in it. There's only one scene Joaquin Phoenix isn't in. Right. Uh, and it's like th- three seconds long or something. Yeah. And the cinematography is just so beautiful. I mean, if, if you had shown me this movie on mute, I still would have thought it was a beautiful piece of, uh, of art without knowing the script at all, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. All right, can we be done? Can we be done talking about this thing? Let me just read you the very last note I took when watching it a second time. Excellent. I just wrote, after my second viewing, what a goddamn incel. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty Was good. I talking about Arthur Fleck or Todd Phillips? The world will never know. Never, ever know. All right, that is it. That is it for us. If you disagree with us, I don't care. Um... <laughs> But thanks for listening anyway. Uh, yeah, we all right. There you yeah. go. Um, we made a thing too. We nailed it. We made a thing talking about how other people made a thing. Uh huh. Is our thing better than that thing? Yes. Only time will tell. But the answer is yes. Yeah. Hey Andrew. Yeah. Hey Andrew. What? Hey Andrew. Yes. Where can they find us? They can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play Music, and SoundCloud.com/slash The Media Lunch Break. You can also find us on Twitter, where our handle is at Media Lunch Break. Send us a tweet. We'll get back to you. I know that because I run it. Don't send us anything on Facebook though, because Chris does that and he's terrible at it. I you can also am. send us a message. You can send us a DM on Instagram, where our handle is the underscore media underscore lunch underscore break melinda actually runs that one so we've got our trio going and you can also watch our videos on youtube.com slash the media lunch break send us some money over at patreon.com slash the media lunch break and you can get a free mystery box with products worth over a hundred dollars in contents and you only have to give us one dollar you can also send us an email at the media lunch break at gmail.com and you can visit our website which is www.themedialunchbreak.com thank you as always to julie i'm trying to make this a thing she has been our Patreon subscriber for longer than anyone else. Thanks, so thank Julie. you for that. The minute she drops out or dies or something, then uh, the next person I'll call out. Yeah. But until that day comes, what do we say to the God of Death? Not today. <laughs> Not Julie. Not ever. Not Julie. <laughs> All right. That's going to do it. Thanks, everybody. I don't know what we're going to do. Oh, wait. Do you want to do a reading assignment real quick? 
Do you want, should, do you want to get that back into that? Uh, maybe. Do you want me to? I'm going to give you one. I'm going to give you one. Okay. All right, ready? Let's do it. All right, so I just talked about the book Slugfest. It's a, um, yeah. it's a really interesting book about the, the rivalry be- between DC and Marvel. And I think it's got a lot of interesting things to talk about. Um, but your reading assignment is Watchmen. You're going to read Watchmen now. Wow, that was quite a bait and switch. Yeah, <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm making you read Watchmen. I think we're going to end up talking about the HBO show. I was so worried that I was going to have to read an actual novel. Nope. And uh, now I do. Yep. Yes, you do. One of the greatest ever. All right. That's it. I'm getting out of here. You're getting out of here. Yeah. So long, everyone. Bye. I have to go check if my house is on fire still. I mean, it's not saying it's on fire, so it's probably a good sign. That's true. Usually the house tells me.